This morning we're going to begin a new series that I'm excited about. You can see the Heroes of Faith. The Heroes of Faith is based on um, Hebrews chapter 11 in which we get this hall of faith. It says, by faith Noah did these things. By faith Moses did these things. By faith Abraham did these things. And it takes us through a study, uh, if you will, of, of what faith looks like and how people of God were able to do great things for God because of their faith. Now, we're not going to follow the exact list in Hebrews 11, but I wanted you to know that Hebrews 11 is what kind of inspired the series. We're going to look at, at, at different heroes of the Old Testament. Another reason that I wanted to do this is because when we're children, we learn some of the Old Testament stories, like Noah and the ark, uh, like I taught at one time in vacation Bible school, Jonah and the ark. It didn't go well. But Noah and the ark, you know, we, we learn all about the, the rains coming and God takes care of the animals and God takes care of Noah and his family and it's a good story. And then when we're adults, somebody mentions Noah and we think, well, I learned that when I was a kid. And we remember it from the mindset, from the perspective of a child. And we miss some of the great lessons that we could learn if we were to look at the stories again from the perspective of young people and adults. So that's really kind of what's behind uh, the, the series based on the way Hebrews 11 says, look at these folks as heroes. I want us to go back and look at some of those stories that maybe we learned when we were younger and maybe we need to review them with new eyes. And so this morning, I want us to look as, at uh, the story of Noah. Kevin, if you'll help me, that, that uh, video's gonna be a little bit tough. There we go. I want us to look at the story of Noah. And to help us with that, we're gonna begin in Genesis chapter six, and we're gonna kind of skip through a couple of chapters here, six through eight, tell us the story of Noah. What I'd like to do is review the story and talk about some of, the, uh, some of the important details of the story, and then we will look at some of the lessons that we can learn from the story of Noah and from his example. So let's begin with, uh, with the story in Genesis chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 5. Genesis 6 and 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There are a lot of descriptive words in there that tell us we got a major problem. Listen again to just that, that first verse that we're looking at. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every, now that's harsh, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil and it was continually evil. That's a lot of descriptive words saying that man was in a bad place. Every single thought of every single man was constantly and continually evil with bad intentions. Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. 
So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so we immediately ask, as soon as we get to that part of the story, there's a question mark that pops into our head, and we think, why? God's going God's, God's to wipe out every part of his creation, but Noah found favor. Why did Noah, out of all of the world, why did Noah find favor? Well, as we continue the story, we begin to understand why Noah found favor. And it is quite simply because he was a man of such great faith that that faith was demonstrated in obedience. He was a man of such great faith that his faith was demonstrated in obedience. And so he found favor in God's eyes. Noah, by the way, was, uh, was not that far from Adam he was the ninth descendant of Adam. And lifespan back then was so different than it is now. Noah was just the first descendant after the death of Adam. In other words, Adam lived long enough to see his great, 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 great grandchildren. And then he died and Noah was born, the ninth descendant. And so the, the times were so very different, but it wasn't really that far away from the time of Adam and the time of creation in the grand scheme of things. In a short period of time, man had gone from walking with God in the garden to the point that there was only one righteous man left on the earth, that every thought of every human being was wicked. And so God says, we're going to start over. Verse 11 now of that same chapter. In verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, a couple of interesting things in that part of the story. I've always thought it was interesting that it's called an ark. Have you know any other thing in the Bible that is called an ark? What do you know that's called an ark in the Bible? Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? It's a box that they put important stuff in. God did not technically tell Noah to build a ship. God told Noah to build a box. That's what the word Ark means. It simply means a big box. The plan was not that he would build something beautiful or that he would build something fancy. The plan was not that he was going to uh, build a, a, you know, like, a, like a sanctuary that would glorify God. That's the part of the temple later. The ark is nothing but a box. And its goal was to put stuff in it. So God says, build a big box, 
because I'm going to put you, your family, and all the critters in there. Make it out of gopher wood. Well, what is gopher wood? Truth is, you don't know because I don't know because don't nobody know. We don't really know what gopher wood was. Most scholars assume that it's probably cypress, and I won't even try to go into why they make that assumption. But we don't really know. He told him exactly what kind of wood to make it out of. It was something Noah was familiar with, and so he makes this big box. He says, put a bunch of rooms in this big box. Now, that word for rooms is interesting because other times that word is used, it means nests. Build a big box and put a bunch of nests in it for all the critters to live in. And then he says, put, you know, put pitch all around it. Pitch is a resin kind of substance. It's a gooey stuff that just seals the seams so it makes it watertight. So God tells Noah, build a big box. Make it out of this kind of wood. Cover it with pitch so that it's waterproof. Verse 15, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. He gives him specific measurements, specific details of how this thing was to be built. He says, make it 450 feet long. If you think, how, what is 450 feet long? Let's start at that wall, and let's go to that wall. That's one measurement. If we were to take that, we would have to lay that four times to get the length of this one big box. Four times the length of the sanctuary. He says, make it 75 feet wide. If we were to go from that wall to that wall, we'd have to add another half of a sanctuary to get to 70 feet wide. 45 feet high. If we look up to the very highest part of our sanctuary, we're not there. We're not where we need to be. Matter of fact, we're a little less than halfway to the height of, of the ark. So you get an idea. Four of these, one and a half of these, and almost two of these. That's a big box. It says build a big box, put nests in it, because I'm about to bring this flood, and God told him I'm going to flood the earth. And that, by the way, was the last accurate weather report that we've heard. The story continues, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. He said in the end of 17, everything's going to die, but I will establish my covenant with you. Everything that has life under the heavens is going to die, but I will establish my heaven, my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark... You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. 
And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten. Store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded of him. Uh, there's, there's really no way to know exactly how many critters there were, but you know, folks, scientists, folks who study this stuff tell us that there are something like 18,000 species alive today. And over the time between the flood and, and now, there have been a lot of species that, um, that died off, that are extinct. And so you, you say, you know, we got 18,000 now. Um, you know, let's, let's say about that many have died off. The species are extinct. We could play around and kind of say, well, maybe that's 36,000 species. Two of each of those makes 72,000 creatures on board. And that's not even counting the million species of insects and the extra pairs of clean animals for food and sacrifice. And there'd still be room for all eight of the people who were there and the rest of the food that they would need. It's a massive undertaking. Incredible to consider what God had told Noah to accomplish. The story continues into chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. He said, go ahead and go into the ark. I've seen that you are different from the generation. You're righteous before me in this generation. I think that in is significant because that is our goal, isn't it? To be righteous before God in a generation that is not. We live in a crazy, mixed up, sinful world. We're in a world in which... Righteousness is rare. We're a lot like Noah. He said, you're righteous before me, even in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate. A pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. Seven pairs of the birds of the heaven, male and female. Keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days, forty nights. Every living thing I, that, that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. Notice that because that is the crux of the whole story. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Even though it must have sounded crazy, it must have sounded strange, nuts. He did all that God told him to do. At the right time, the family entered the ark. The animals appear by God's, uh, by God's doing, a miraculous appearance of all the animals, and they enter the ark. The Lord himself shuts the door behind them. Seven days later, the rain begins. Hard, hard rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The water rose to more than 20 feet above the highest mountaintops. Every person and every living thing died. 
rain went, continued for 40 days, 40 nights. Then as it began to, to, to slow down, began to stop, the floodwaters lasted without, without hardly any change for 110 days. Then, about two and a half months later, you could begin to see the mountain peaks. About four and a half months after that, they were able to send a dove out to see what, what the, the wildlife was like, what the, the earth was like. Eight months after that, they finally began to leave the ark. Noah and his family were in that ark for over a year, 371 days. They were in that big box with a bunch of critters. That is, that is an amazing kind of commitment, amazing kind of faith that would make one continue in that knowing that God had called him to do that very thing. We fast forward through chapter 8 and pick up the story at 18. I mean, chapter 8 at 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. He makes a rainbow then to, to, to verify that promise. Never again will we go through a flood like that. Never again will he wipe out all of humanity from the face of the earth through a flood. Noah hears the command of God and he begins to build a boat. He begins to build a big box. The rain has not begun and there's no lake in sight. There's no water around and he continues to build the box. Eventually the rains come. Noah is protected. He comes out and worships God. And God says, Noah, you've done well. I want us to think through that story and consider some of the things that we, that we can learn from it. First, we, we want to see what we can learn about God. And then I want to show you a couple of things that we can learn about salvation. First, the things that we can learn about God is that God protects and provides for the faithful. It was clear in the story that all of the world was evil except Noah. And so God takes care of Noah and his family. That's the way God tends to work. He protects and provides for the faithful. Doesn't mean that we don't have to go through floods. Believe me, that life was not easy for Noah. He never would have chosen that. We still have to go through the floods. We still have to go through the fire. Isaiah reminds us, though, that as we go through the flood and the flame, he is there with us. He protects and provides for the faithful. Noah eventually is able to step out of the ark onto dry land. And the first thing he does is to worship the Lord because he knew how God had, 
had blessed him. He knew how he had, he had, the Lord had provided for him. So his first act was an act of worship and thanksgiving. Something else that we learn about God is that God is Lord of all creation. The word Lord means master. It means the guy in charge. It means the boss. And God did not just create everything and then kind of spin it and get it in motion and step back and let it happen. He is the master. He is the one in charge of every aspect of creation. He not only created all the worlds, but he put them in their places and he started them on their various journeys. And it is by his power that everything is held together, that everything moves as it's supposed to, so that everything works in just the right way, in just the right time. He is Lord of all creation. The story reminds us that he created life, therefore he can destroy life. You, you remember the Cosby show. One of the early lines that, that everybody picked up on very quickly is when Dr. Huxtable tells his rebellious son, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. It's a similar concept. God created everything. Therefore, he can, if he chooses, destroy his own creation. That is part of the harsh uh, truth of the story that we don't spend a whole lot of time with with the, the five-year-olds when we're talking about Noah and the ark. But it's something that you and I need to come to grips with that we serve an awesome God, a powerful God, and there is reason for us to stand in awe and in fear of such a powerful God. He created all that is, and he can destroy all that is anytime he chooses to do so. He can bring the reins or he can hold them. Something else we learn about God as we look at the story is that God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. We know that because the reason for the flood was sin. You and I take sin pretty lightly, let's be honest. You and I take sin pretty lightly. You know, no, we shouldn't do this, shouldn't think that, shouldn't say that. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Bad, bad me, slap you know, slap me on the wrist. As long as nobody finds out, as long as nobody gets hurt, just kind of hide it and forget it, no big deal. But God takes sin very seriously. He takes it so seriously that because of sin, he wiped out all of humanity. He takes sin so seriously that because of sin, he brought fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he takes sin so seriously he sent his own son to pay the penalty for our sin. He takes sin seriously. We need to be very aware of what it means to offend a holy God. Not that we need to walk around in guilt and shame. Jesus already took care of that and freed us from that. But we do need to be very aware of how serious sin is. When we're very aware of how serious sin is, we actually then wind up being more grateful for what Jesus has done instead of abusing the freedom that he provides. God 
takes sin seriously. And then one more thing that we learn is that God's justice is pure, His grace is secure, and His promises are sure. Look at the story again and consider that God's justice is pure. Man was completely evil, and God is just. He's not going to sit back and let evil reign. His grace is secure. He says, Noah, you and your family, get on board. Here's how we're going to protect you all. I'm going to find a way to take care of you. God's grace is secure, and his promises are sure. He told Noah it was going to rain, and it did. And then he told Noah, we'll never do this again, and he hasn't. His promises are sure. So you and I can wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and we can face what may be a difficult day. We can face another week ahead. We can face a crazy, mixed-up, confused world. Why? Because God's justice is pure, because His grace is secure, and because His promises are sure. We can learn a lot about God from the story. We also learn some things about salvation. Let me show you a couple of things we learn about salvation. Salvation is only available for a time. In the story, God tells Noah, in, in this length of time, the rains are going to begin. And the rains did begin. Noah and his family were protected. And we have to use our imagination a little bit on this, but Al Ringel, the activities director or recreational minister, whatever you want to call him at the church where I grew up, used to tell the story of Noah. And when he told the story of Noah, he thought about the people who didn't get on the boat. And the waters are rising. And all of a sudden, they realize they can't stand up anymore, and they start treading water. And before too long, they're getting tired of treading water, and the water's arising. And here's this big boat. If I could get in the box, if I could get in the boat, I'd be okay. And Al pictured and even told it in such a way that we could almost hear the people screaming and banging on the sides of the boat, Noah, let us in, let us in, let us in. But Noah's not the one who closed the door. Who closed the door of the ark? God closed the door, didn't he, buddy? God closed the door. Noah can't open it. Noah's not the one that closed it. God is the one who provides salvation. But salvation is only for a time. Because very soon the waters overtook everyone else and it was too late. You say, John, I think you're stretching that a little bit. Applying that to salvation seems like you're stretching it a little bit. And I would almost agree with you except that I'm telling you exactly what Jesus said. Look in Matthew chapter 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
There is a time for salvation, and there will be a time when it's too late. The Son of Man is going to come back. And when he comes back, there are no second chances. There is a time for salvation. We also learn from the story that salvation is not universal. Salvation is not universal. Everybody does not get to go to heaven. Everybody does not just die a a peaceful death here and move on to another happy life. I know that that's the way we're taught and that's the way our society thinks for the most part, but the reality is that salvation is not universal. Salvation is provided by grace through faith. So those who exercise faith in that grace find salvation in Jesus Christ. Again, and, and, uh, you, you say, well, is that pushing it too far? Well, Peter mentions Noah twice, in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter. And both times he emphasized that only eight people were saved. He makes the point that only eight people were saved. Salvation is not universal. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that narrow is the way and few who find it. That's Matthew chapter 7 at verse 14. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Salvation also involves faith and grace. That's another lesson we learn from Noah. Salvation involves faith and grace. It, it involves both. In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. You're saved by grace. How do you, how do you receive that grace? How do you experience that grace? Through faith. So salvation requires grace and faith. You see, the ark was a symbol of faith on the part of Noah. God said, build a big box, and Noah built the box. It was also a symbol of grace on the part of God because God said, bring your family in. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. The ark was a testimony of Noah's faith, and it was a testimony of God's grace. And so when we look in Hebrews 11, back in that in that hall of faith that I told you about? Look at when it mentions Noah. By faith, Noah being warned by God. See, that's an act of grace. God intervened, God chose, God acted. By being, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Grace and then faith. And how is that faith demonstrated? Through obedience. We're saved by grace. We receive that grace through faith. We demonstrate that faith by obedience. Salvation includes both faith and grace. 